What it needs is the anointing of Almighty God and the power of God coming into this building. We don't need to do business as usual. We don't just need nice sermons and beautiful music and all of the other accruements that come with it. What I am telling you is somewhere in the heart of this church, there has got to be born something that eats you alive and drives you to the point that we've got to have a move of God. We, we, we can't just have this nice little family church and we can't just have a nice calendar and we can't just do things well, but we've got to have the dynamic power of God. That's what I want to preach to you tonight. And the quest for every man that is hungry for revival is how do I get the power of God from God to my world? How do I bring it across every situation it has to cross to get here? When they faced this complex situation, they had several ideas as to how to get this done. Their first idea was a $50 million experiment by Humble Oil Company that would eventually become known as Exxon. They said, we will convert super tankers. They purchased a U.S. former military ship, spent $50 million converting it, and it was an ice-breaking ship. But they realized that that wasn't going to work. And they said, all right, if we can't burrow through the ice, maybe we can go under the ice. And they spent millions checking that out. Maybe we can put submarines, go under the ice, fill them up, and bring them back. It didn't work. And then they said, well, maybe we can fly. And they discovered and tried to figure out a way to convert 747s into super fuel tankers. And it just wasn't feasible to do it. And they finally arrived at the idea that the only way we can do this is to build a pipeline. And the difficulty of building that pipeline is and was, it had to go across 800 miles. Not just 800 miles, but it had to go across 800 miles that had never been walked on or seen. There were no roads, there was no infrastructure, there was no way to get your equipment there. And not only did it have to traverse 800 miles, but it had to cross 32 major rivers. And it had to cross three mountain ranges. And this was no small task. But they said if we're ever going to get the oil to where it can be usable, if we're ever going to get this natural resource to the point that it affects the daily life of people, then we've got to figure out how to get it from there to here. If that's not an analogy of revival, then I don't understand much about preaching. We have a God that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we even ask or think. We got to figure it out how to get it from there to here. Now I'm not going to spend my night apologizing. So let me say this once. I do not believe in prostituting the message to propagate the message. All right. 
Is that clear? So everybody's clear on that. I'm not talking about using Hollywood. I'm not talking about using means that are detrimental to the preaching of the gospel. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm telling you is there are times that God uses different things. I'm telling you sometimes I think, well, we're going to have a revival and I think this evangelist is the guy. And I fly him in, set him up for a whole month, and nothing happens. We can't pray anybody through. Our services are dry. It's not his fault. It just wasn't what God wanted. And there's other times that some young guy comes by. I had a guy come by one time from camp meeting just walking by him. And I said, where are you preaching this weekend? He said, I don't have anywhere. I said, come preach for us. And it just started. It wasn't scheduled. It wasn't planned. And over the next five weeks, we prayed 30 brand new people through. God wants you to figure out what page he's on right now. He will not give you a formula for revival. Now, we want a formula. We, we get together and we talk about what's working for you, Doc. Hey, you, you, you may, may remember this. Years ago, there was a guy. I wouldn't want to say his name. Because I wouldn't want to bring Mark Canby into it. But he was preaching a lot of meetings in California. And he came to that meeting in Fresno, that Sunday school meeting. And, and he talked about 21-day fast. And what a breaking revival that brought to his church. Do you remember this part that John McDonald said, I'm going to go home and fast 21 days. Because that's what it takes to have revival. I'm willing to do it. And he went home and he fasted 21 days. And he lost about 20 pounds. Because we always want the formula. We want to go to a meeting where somebody hands us a little plan. or a, And God says, I don't work in formulas. I work in variables. There's going to be times you've got to put this pipeline above the ground. There's going to be times you've got to put it below the ground. There's going to be times you've got to build a bridge across a river. There's going to be times you've got to go. You know what God wants us to do? He wants us to get on our face and go to the prayer room until we find the variable for that revival. You may be seated. And once we get it for that revival, we cannot enshrine it as though this is the mandate. God has so ordained it that He will not give us formulas. He demands that we pursue the variable for that moment and that revival. And we can't enshrine it and say, this is what works in my town. That's not my sermon, so let me move on. So they decided they're going to bring this oil. And they started working. They spent six years just gathering materials. This pipe they were going to put in was a 48-inch pipe. It's large. It's expensive. They had 100,000 suctions they had to put together. It was a big deal. They said, this is going to take us a couple of years and $900 million. Well... It ended up taking 10 years and billions and billions of dollars before they finally got it done. They began to try to build this pipeline. And they couldn't get across the ground. There were no roads. They were going places no one had ever been before. 
There were no roads. There was no cleared ground. And they've got to try to go in there and put these supports in that's going to hold this pipe. They were literally working foot by foot. The first week they had to put these structures in that would hold the pipe up. And the first week they got four of them in. And they had 70-something thousand they had to do. The next week they put in ten more. And the next week they put in ten more. And they said, if we don't get this figured out, it's going to be decades and decades before we ever get this thing ran. we got to figure this out. I'm telling you that is a picture of revival. You cannot look around and say, well, I'll tell you the formula is just get this evangelist. Or the formula is just try this program. God has so ordained it that if one IPA wants to go where it's never gone before. You gotta find the variable. And it won't last forever. You gotta find it again. And then you gotta find it again. Oh God, let something be born in our heart tonight. Let something happen in this church. It kept going and going and pushing and going. And the engineers. They said, we don't know what to do. Nobody's ever done this before. No one has ever put a pipeline above ground before. But they kept working on it. 420 miles of the pipe went above ground. And then they hit a section. They said, that won't work anymore. It's a different plan now, Elder. Now, you've got to change the variable. And they said, we've got to put it underground now for the next 320 miles. And not only do we need to put it underground, but some of it we have to refrigerate. Because if we don't, it's going to create a quagmire and nothing but quicksand. And so they had to refrigerate miles and miles and miles. And what I'm trying to get through to you is if we could just get off our lazy bones and quit deciding if I could just find the right book at the Bible bookstore. If I could... If I could just get the right evangelist. If I could just. Let me tell you where revival will come to you. Right back there in that little room with those little bitches. In the darkness of a prayer room. When God says this is your calling card today. I know we've been putting a pipe above ground. But now we're fixing to go underground. And we're going to do it a whole different way. The engineers did not know what to do. They had never done this. They were stopped by so many things. There were over 500 federal permits that had to be acquired. There were over 800 state permits. They had to cross native lands. 800 miles is a long ways. And they were stuck. 2,000 contractors, all their employees, 28,000 people trying to get this done. And they're stuck because of these permits. And the Arab world did us a favor. They started an oil embargo. This is before most of the people in this room were born, but I remember it. And those of you that are older will remember it. And they cut off our oil. And the long lines at gas stations in the United States of America began to form. And people began to fight each other. They were angry, waiting an hour in line hours just to get a tank of gas. And so President Nixon signed it into law and swept all of those permits out of the way and the pipeline rolled on. I'm going to tell you that you're not going to make it easy to have a revival. Revival always costs more than you thought it would when you got started. But I'm going to tell you if you stay with it, if you just keep seeking God and you keep praying and you keep looking for the variable. God will come through. 
No one had ever built a pipe through the Arctic. No one had ever built a pipeline in an area so sparsely populated. The engineer's mantra is mile by mile, meaning we look at every structure in the, the ground. They had to throw it out the window. And then the engineers looked at each other and said, this is not mile by mile. This is foot by foot. They had to deal with things they had never dealt with. The permafrost. Oil comes out of the ground at 158 degrees minimum. It would melt everything around it. And so they had to figure out how can we do it. Listen to the quote of the main engineer. This is his words. We continually had to ask ourselves, how are we going to do this? Constantly, they were going back to the drawing board. But finally, they kept working at it. And they kept working at it. And it began to happen. They had to cross mountain ranges that were so steep, there was no way around them. The last hurdle that they had was a summit 2,700 feet tall. They had to try to get over that summit. And there was no way to do it. They had to create harnesses. And men, welders, hung upside down up the side of that mountain. And they took big cranes and put the pieces. Nobody had ever done that before. But my point is, if you're going to get what we need to be here, you've got to be willing to pay whatever price God asks you to pay. Can I tell you that we want a cheap revival? Can I tell you that we want a comfortable revival? Can I tell you we don't... We want a revival that comes. Because we have outreach Saturday morning at 9.30. And we go out till 11 and then we go to Starbucks. And we fold our material and put it away for another week. And God says, I won't bless that. I will not bless that. Let's pray right now that God would help us in this service. Jesus, help us. Help us, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So they did it. They built 420 miles above ground. 380 miles underground. They got one place where they had to cross a river. And they said, we were going to go under, but it won't work. What are we going to do? They said, we have no solutions here. And one engineer said, you know what we need? We need a bridge. We need to look all over the whole world and find a bridge. And we need to buy that bridge. And we need to take it apart and bring it over here and put it back together and put that pipeline across that river. Can you believe that's exactly what they did? They went to Japan and found a bridge spanning the right distance. They bought the bridge. They took the bridge apart. They shipped it to Alaska and they put the bridge back together and the pipeline rolled on. I'm going to tell you when you're trying to have a real move of God, you're going to hit barrier after barrier after barrier and you're going to say, I don't know how to get around this, but if you just keep knocking and you keep praying and you keep fasting and you keep asking, God will see to it that an answer will come to you. And so, 
On July 28, 1977, the first oil reached the Valdez area from the North Slope. From the moment they turned the valve for the first time, two million barrels at any time flows through that pipeline. They have 10 pumping stations. And that oil began to flow. It took 38 days, 12 hours, and 56 minutes for the first oil to come. Of course, the beautiful analogy is that Jesus hung on a cross. And he said, go back into the city of Jerusalem and tarry until you be endued from on high. Little did they know when they drove those spikes in his hands and in his feet that they were starting a flow of power that would flow to our world 50 days later. And 50 days later in an upper room, they were all in one place with one accord. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It wasn't some ecclesiastical committee. It wasn't some nice little plan or program. It was the raw power of God. It was the anointing of God flowing across centuries of time. It flew from, it flowed from way before Adam and Eve. It flowed across the patriarchs, down through the law, across the Old Testament across 400 years of silence and God said I'm going to send my power to the world. Can I tell us here at YPA our calling card is our power. The power flowed for 50 days. The legacy of the pipeline is amazing. It pays 80% of the Alaskan state budget. They don't have a state income tax. They don't need it. And every year, that pipeline blesses every person in the state. Every resident of the state of Alaska gets a check because of that oil pipeline. The check for 2015 was the largest check they've ever given. And each and every... Resident of the state of Alaska got a check for $2,072. And there are 640,000 residents. So you can go figure how profitable it was. I just believe that when we get the oil to flow, it changes everything. You don't have to have magnificent programs. You don't even have to have great buildings. It used to happen under brush arbors. It wasn't the building that attracted them. It wasn't the clothing that attracted them. It wasn't the oratory that attracted them. It wasn't the articulation of the man in the pulpit. It was the fact that the oil was flowing and people needed it and they came. If you can get the power of God working in this church, they will come to you from far and wide. And when they come here, they will be healed. And when they come here, they will be saved. And when they come here, their marriages will be put back together and their lives will be changed. Not because of us, but because of the oil. Everything's put to the test. I'm almost finished with this. I want to move on to what I want to talk about in the Bible, but I'm just giving you an example. But in 2002, they were tested by... The magnitude of an earthquake of 7.9 on the Richter scale. They'd been waiting. They're waiting. Can it take the stress 
Can this pipeline handle it when there's a major earthquake? 7.9 on the Richter scale. Rip through there. The earth moved 14 feet. And they looked, and the pipeline held. And I got to thinking about the old ship of Zion. It's fought a lot of battles, but it's never been defeated. <laughs> Fed to the lions, but the lions couldn't eat it. Let me just tell you, if you build it on the glory of God and not on man, and you build it on God's indictments and God's judgments, and you build it on God's requisitions, I'm telling you, it will stand. And it doesn't matter who's in the White House, and it doesn't matter what the Supreme Court says. Let it rock and roll, baby. The oil's still going to flow because it's... the old ship of Zion. These are their words. These are their words, the people that worked on it. The engineer behind it said everybody wanted to get this pipeline done. Everyone, listen to his words. Everyone was of one accord with one Eventually, 72,000 people would work on it. But at its peak, 28,000 people were working, 2,000 contractors. They're putting it, they're going, they're blowing and going. And eventually, the oil came. How important is that to our economy? As I told you, 17% of all the oil and gasoline product that we use in the United States of America comes through that pipeline and has for well over 30 years. I read the quote that so inspired me to study this. When they got finished, you've heard me talk about this, Brother Steve. When they got done, they gave every person that worked on that pipeline a plaque. And on that plaque was a little piece of the pipe. And inscribed on it were these words, We didn't know it couldn't be done. We didn't know. It couldn't be done. Can you have revival in Yuma? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. But you can't have it with a formula. And you can't have it just playing patty cake. And you can't have it just doing nice little things. But when you get that variable in your heart and you say, God, we've got to have the oil. We can't just have this little nice little group out here in the middle of this, this agricultural area. But I'm going to tell you, when the oil starts flowing, you won't have to worry about people coming. They will line your parking lot. You'll outgrow this building. You'll build another one. All because the oil is what they're looking for. So I want to conclude talking about oil. Oil. Men in the Bible recognized how important it was. They tell me, some of this I can't verify. This is the writing of the rabbis. That the rabbis say the oil used in the temple and the tabernacle was a product of every single olive. They would squeeze one drop. One drop. So the oil used in the tabernacle was literally the first fruits of the oil. That's what they used in the tabernacle. I don't know. It's just what the rabbis say. And they say that olive oil is very easy to contaminate. That's why you have to be careful when you buy it. When you go to the store, if you go to the store after church tonight, if you don't believe me, go check it out. 
it'll say right on the front of it, virgin olive oil. 100% virgin olive oil. That means they haven't added anything to it. There are no preservatives. There are no contaminants. Because for olive oil to be the most impacting and useful, it has to be pure. It can't have contaminants. What better picture do we have in the Bible? And let me give you an example of a man who thought he could pander the oil. His name was, we call him Hiram. He came to Solomon. Hiram's dad was friends with Solomon's dad. King of Tyre, king of Israel. David passes off the scene, hands the kingdom to Solomon. Hire. Hiram, the king of Tyre, passes off. And Hiram is a title, just like Herod. If you don't understand that, when you read the New Testament, you'll say, man, this Herod guy lived a long time. Well, that's just a family name. There's Herod the Great, 4 B.C., he dies. There's Herod Antipas, Herod uh, 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 Archelaus. There's, there's Philip the Tetrarch. They're all Herods. And then Agrippa I and Agrippa II. So it's, just, it's a title, like Pharaoh. There's all kinds of Pharaohs. Or like Caesar. Caesar's simply a title, you know, whether it's talking about Augustus or or whichever one is talking about. So Hiram was a title. And so Hiram, the king of Tyre, was David's friend. And then his son became friends with Solomon. And, and he saw the benefit of oil. Let me tell you something. The world wants our power. They just don't want what it takes to get it. They like what's on the inside, but they don't like the wrapping. They don't want to live the holiness. They just want the glory. That's why they'll have big meetings and fog lights and, and, and smoke stuff and, and all kind of stuff and wave around and wave their hands and act like they got it. They're looking for it, but they don't want to pay the price to have it. So Hiram goes to Solomon and he says, I would like to purchase 20,000 baths of oil. David in his wisdom during the Camelot era, era of, of Israel's history, David very wise, setting up the kingdom of God, puts men over everything. He doesn't give one person the whole job. This man's over the, uh, the, 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 the forestry, and this man's over the, the, the animal husbandry, and this man's over the this, and he's got all these people. Well, the man that, that, that he put over the oil is a man called Joash. It's in your Bible. And his name being hasten, God hastens. He realized that oil is a commodity that you can't just let stay around or it's going to get stale. It has to be protected. It has to ha have a certain temperature to be most effective. That's why we try to get you to worship God when you come. Because if the oil is cold, it's not as effective as if it's warm. And Joash, your job is to make sure this oil is kept in pristine virgin condition. And when we need it, whatever the demand is, we need to make sure we can meet the demand. Don't you know it's quite a moment when however he was contacted, that the, the man knocked on the door or sent word from the king, we want 20,000 baths of oil. That's simply 150,000 gallons of oil. And Joe asked to his credit, said, no problem. When you want it. And Hiram he didn't want the oil for the right purposes. Hiram wanted the oil to make money. He and Solomon became great friends. They played little word games and they challenged each other. And, and the buying and selling of oil to him was a merchandise. It wasn't about 
God. He didn't buy the oil to use it in the tabernacle or, or in the service. He, he put it on his ships and he sold it around the world. And let me tell you the danger of merchandising the oil when it's nothing more than something to buy or to make money off of. If you'll fast forward, and this is not even my message tonight, but I'm going to do my best to just touch on it as I go by. Go ahead and fast forward to the book of Ezekiel. I think it's chapter 28, wherever it is there, when it talks about the king of Tyre. And I'll show you how that it can start the chapter and say this man, it calls him a man. But as you read through, it eventually says, thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. And you're saying, oh, wait a minute, this is not a man. This has got to be Lucifer. This has got to be Satan. And you go back up and read it again. And sure enough, he's talking about a man, the king of Tyre. And you read on through. There is no definable moment when it transfers from the man to the devil. There is, because when you play with the oil, when you merchandise the oil, you get into areas that if you're not careful, you will become apostate. You will become reprobate because you're playing with something that is too holy. That's what Hiram did. Hiram bought 150,000 gallons from Solomon. And then 300 years later, in the 600 years of Ezekiel, now you can't tell him from Satan he's so involved and those 600 years more. And his great, 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 great granddaughter is walking this earth full of seven devils. That's the end result of people that play with the oil and merchandise the oil. Now, 900 years later, a woman by the name of Mary Magdalene, who is the great, 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 great granddaughter of King of Tyre, comes in contact with Jesus. And she encounters for the first time in her life what real oil is all about. And the anointing of God falls on her. And Jesus casts seven devils out of her. Can I tell you, this thing that I'm preaching about is too precious to play with. It's not something to treat casually. It is the most sanctified, honorable thing that we hold in our hands. It is the power of God. It is the anointing of God. And He's got all we need above Him. He said our mind cannot even think above and beyond anything we can think. He's got the power to do it. We have got to make up our mind. I am going to get on my face. I am going to find God until I find the variable for revival in my church. I don't know how many of you have ever heard of quantum dots. But let me just throw them out and you can go home and check them out. Quantum dots were discovered in 1985. They're a man-made element that is very small. A regular microscope, you can't even see them. If you stack 10,000 of them, one on top of the other, it would be the height of that beard you said he plucked out of his, that hair he plucked out of his beard. 10,000. But they have become such an integral part of our world. If you have a phone and it's got a screen on it, and you can see color and definition on that screen. You can thank quantum dots. Because light in its purest form, Brother Looking Ball, is nothing but blinding white. That's why God said He dwells in the light that no man can approach Him to. It's destructive. That's why He said to Moses, you can't look at me and live. 
If you do, it will destroy you. And so God said, for me to get my light to a world, it has got to be refracted. It has got to be bent so there's color and definition and beauty. And so I will make an archangel and in his body I will put stones that refract the glory of God so that mankind can approach unto me and see my glory and feel my presence and power. And when that angel fell, when that angel took one third of the other angels with him and fell, what did God do? He said, I cannot just abort the plan. I will put those 12 stones in the breastplate of my priesthood. And so the people will see me. And when I speak, I will speak through Moses. And when I speak, I will speak through Aaron. And my light and my glory will not destroy them because it will be refracted through people that are able to take the light to the world. The Bible tells us that we are a chosen generation. How'd you say it last night? Weird unusual or something peculiar or whatever it was abnormal peculiar people do you know what he said you're a royal priesthood can i tell you that every one of us tonight every one of us in this room have an obligation to let the light of jesus christ shine through us because we are what the world sees if they see him in his original it will just they cannot handle it it's got to shine through that's why he said you are a city set on the hill that's why he said you are a light that's why he said you're a candle because men see him through you But here's the kicker. Light, read about quantum dots. Light won't work without one thing. Guess what that one thing is? If light doesn't have oil, in particular, olive oil. Read it. One of the functions of olive oil is it supplies quantum dots with the ability I don't want to be offensive tonight, and if I cross your wires, I apologize. But your long sleeves don't impress anybody. Your long hair doesn't impress anybody if there's no oil to go with it. If all the light you've got is simply a blazing white light of judgment and self-righteousness, and you stand on the street corner and crow, I thank God I pay my tithes, I thank God. If that's all you've got, then you're not going to win anybody to God. But if that oil starts flowing through the light, and your light starts shining, they see a beautiful picture of somebody that has been in touch with the true power of God. Quantum dot. You may be seated. That's what makes LCD work. That's what makes screens work. That's why your iPhone works. If you didn't have quantum dots in there, when you turned it on, it'd just be a bright white light. You couldn't see anything. It's the quantum dots that make it defined into colors, shapes, words, symbols, communication. It's taking the raw power of light and transforming it refracting it. And to do it, it has to have olive oil. That's what our lives have 
me. If all you got is you're holding the standard and, and, and you live like everybody else, you don't have anything more than a Benedictine monk. Catholic nun. The difference is in the oil. It's the oil that changes us and makes our light beautiful. And if all we're interested in is oil, we'll end up like Hiram, prostituting the message so we can propagate the message. And we will end up with our sons and daughters, the end result like Mary Magdalene. I don't want that to be the epitaph, the eponym of my life. I'm coming to a close. Joash's name means Jehovah hastens. His name means this oil business is kind of important. We got to hurry. We don't have a lot of time to fool around. The oil will go bad if we don't refresh it. It'll become stale, stagnant. Nobody will buy it. Nobody will want it. So Joe asks your job is to hurry up and make sure it's fresh and ready for delivery. Would you stand with me? I'm convinced. I'm convinced tonight that Paul tried the formula. I'm convinced that he went to Philippi, got in a deal, put in jail, was asked by the Romans to leave, went down the road to a place called Thessalonica. Was there for a couple of months. Tried it again. Tried it again. Got in a deal. Jews threatened. The disciples said, look, it's just too hot here. Too much trouble. Going down the road, Paul. So he does. He goes down to Berea. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica. And that they received the word with all readiness of mind. Search the scriptures daily whether those things are so. So he thinks, okay, I'm going to try it here. And he tries it at Berea. Doesn't do much better. House of Jason is assaulted. Whole city's in an uproar. He said, the brethren say, Paul, can you just, just go? And so... He does. He tells Timothy and his traveling companions that go on, I'll, I'll meet you later. I'm, I'm going to go by Athens. And he's going to go to Athens and he's going to use his brilliance and his schooling and his charm and his eloquence and total package. And he does. And man, he blows them away at the start. But when it's all said and done, he left Athens with his tail between his legs. Somewhere between Athens and Corinth on that little strip of road I know Brother Brown's been there. Maybe some of you others have. I've been there. I remember driving that road thinking, I wonder where Paul was when he stopped and said it didn't work at Philippi. It didn't work at Thessalonica. It didn't work at Berea, and it didn't work at Athens. What do I do? My formula is not working. And God said the variable is preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. Four times he said, I despaired of life. And somewhere on that journey between Athens and Corinth, it clicked. And he said, all right, the variable is I determined to preach nothing save Jesus Christ. And in the next 18 months, God said, I have much people in this city 
Historical records say this church at Corinth went to 80,000 people. You figure 18 months, that's 80 weeks. That's 1,000 people a week came into the church. He found the variable. He realized he's using a formula that wasn't getting the job done. Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens. And from that moment on, Paul never again used his formula. Everywhere he went, he said, I got to find the variable. And Paul built a church so strong that it toppled the Roman Empire, at least according to some noted historians. It took it all to bring the oil. I believe God's looking for some Joe ashes tonight. Somebody that's in a hurry to reach our world. February 23rd, 520 B.C. He gives us the date in his book. I didn't make it up. He actually tells us. All I did was translate the month into our calendar out of the Jewish calendar. He tells us when he went to bed that night, he was a disillusioned young prophet, the grandson of Iddo. The nation that he loved so dearly was no longer prevalent. It was nothing more than a colony of the Persian Empire, a byword. And his older friend Haggai had been preaching hard for two months. Nobody was moving. Nothing was happening. And he laid his head down on February the 23rd, 520 B.C. Disturbed, upset, hungry for God. And that night, God gave him a series of eight visions. Boom, boom. And when the fifth one came, God shook him and said, Wake up. I want to make sure you remember this one. And when he woke up, he saw the oil, the two candlesticks, the pipes that flowed. And when he got to the end of the chapter, he said, These are my two anointed ones. These are my two sons of oil to the world. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what happens in the next presidential election. I don't mean that to be disconnective. It's fine if you want to read the paper. I read it tonight before coming to church. But my point is, the oil is not about the White House. The oil is not about the Supreme Court. If we can just forget all of that and say, my job is to bring it somewhere it's never been before. Nobody's ever built a pipeline here. Nobody's ever done this before. But I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to lay on my face in that prayer room until God gives me some answers to know how to bring this oil to my world. Let's pray for just a moment. Conclusion of this service. Would you ask God to touch us in these final moments? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Bow your head and close your eyes if you would, please. Zechariah was looking at a nation that was upside down, a nation headed for judgment. And God said, forget about that. Just anoint 
the sons of oil. I was standing in a church. A young man came forward to pray. I stepped down off the platform. Young evangelist said, Sir, what is your need? He said, I am completely hooked on heroin. I have been now for several years. I can't live a day without it. I remember this moment right now. I can still remember the pastor walking up and we laid hands on that heroin addict. I still remember seeing his eyes go back to normal. I watched his, as I could see it happen, his pupils returned to normal. He lifted his hands and began to speak in other tongues. He was instantly delivered from a high of heroin, and he had been on heroin for years. To my knowledge, he is still living for God after all of the... You know what? It wasn't the pretty sermon that did it. It wasn't the building or the plants or the lights or... I'm going to tell you what it was. That oil flowed all the way from heaven. And it came down and touched that young man. And suddenly he was delivered from heroin. I saw with my own eyes. I can give you her phone number and you can check it for yourself. A young lady by the name of Anna. She was a Puerto Rican. She had lupus so bad she could not even walk. She was crippled. I've got a file in my office about that thick. She was in uh, she, she was incurable. The doctor said, you are, you are cursed for life. And I was, I was there that night on a Wednesday night, just a normal night, nothing even going on. People came up for prayer, walked across the line, laying, and I put oil. I took a little dab of oil, and I put that oil on her forehead. And she, she jerked a little bit, and she said to me, Pastor, I just got healed. She said, I felt it start at the top of my head and go all the way through my body. No fancy sermon, no evangelist, no nothing going on, no choir singing, just the oil. And when that oil touched her forehead, she came back the next day with a letter. She went and got checked. I have the letter in my office at home, and it said, there is no trace of lupus in her body. You know what it was? It was the oil. Can I tell you that's what we need that's what we've got to have in our churches is the oil uncontaminated 100% virgin oil I know a man and a wife that was sitting at the table dividing the goods you take the couch I'll take the coffee table you take this bedroom I'll take this one they were done it was over brother Dory they decided they were going to divorce and move on. And on the door. And I went to the door and there was an apostolic person standing at that door. That had light and oil. And they said, why don't you come to church with me tomorrow? And that man and woman said, we got nothing to lose. And that was over 30 years ago. And today they're as happily married as they've ever been. They went to that altar. And that oil started flowing, Elder Stevel. Hallelujah. And an irreparable marriage was put back together. Not by counseling, not by psychotic stuff, not by drugs and all the other modern methods, but the holy oil of God, uncontaminated, 100% virgin oil began to flow over that husband and wife. And today they are beautifully married and have been for years. I was preaching in Colorado. And a lady prayed that night. She kind of scared me. And I hate to say that, you know, but she did. And so I just kind of stayed away. And I had all the ladies pray with me. And I 
Usually I go by and encourage. I'm not a, I wish I had the ministry to pay people through, but I don't. But I, I do have the ministry to encourage other people to pray people through. So whether you agree with that or not, it can be a one-man show or you can pray 50 or 60 through if you get a lot of help. I recommend getting help. So anyway, I was encouraging her. And that lady was kneeling over here. And finally she looked up at me and she went, and I didn't want to go. I was scared of her. She just, just, and I said, me? I knew she was talking to me. I said, me? So I went over there, stayed kind of far back. Couldn't hear, of course. We had... Uh, this at the end of a long revival. We had over 60 get the Holy Ghost. This was the last night of revival. Great, great night. We had several get the Holy Ghost this night. And she's kneeling right here. And she said, come here. And I was scared to. And I, I just kind of knelt like that. And when I did, she reached in her purse and she whipped out a scalpel. Like they do surgery with. I'm, I'm. She was holding that scalpel up like that. She said, no, no, come here. Come here. She held it out like that. She said, I want to give this to you. I said, okay, and I got it. She pulled back. When I tell you there were hundreds and hundreds of scars, she said, I won't be needing this anymore. She said, I've tried to kill myself over 100 times. She said, I don't understand everything that went on tonight, but I heard voices leaving my body that have talked to me for years. She said, I counted 13 and I quit counting men's voices that would tell me to kill myself. And she said, when the last one left, I don't know what all this is, but I began to say things I never understood. And I feel clean and I feel whole today. She had been to every kind of help the government has to offer and none of them helped her. But let me tell you what changed her life. It was when that oil started flowing. When a son of oil invited her to the house of the Lord. When a son of oil found her on the job, found her in the project, brought her on a Sunday school van, met her somewhere at Starbucks and said, why don't you go to church with me? And she was in the presence of the Lord that night and that oil came down and started touching her and she received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and we baptized her in Jesus' name and she's living for God today. Not because of anything we could do, but because we got the oil. God needs a revival of the sons of oil. Heads bowed, eyes closed as she begins to sing a song. If you'd like to be used in the kingdom, step out of your pew. Walk to the front of this church and tell the great God of heaven, teach me how to do it. Don't let me get hung up on formulas. God, give me a variable to reach my family. Give me a variable to reach my neighborhood. Give me a variable to reach my workplace. Help me, Jesus.